We got rules in the South, right? Can we just agree on that? When you're traveling, you know you've gone north when the iced tea is now dirty water and they've left out the most important ingredient, right? Thank you, thank you. No snaps from over here, from Philly. I know, I know, I know. Hey, I'm sharing that with you. You know, we get a good laugh, but this is why I share that with you. Because I had such a sense this week that for some of you, this is your journey with church. Is that, is that you're, you're, you're looking for a church to call home and you're looking for something that's familiar. You're, you're looking for a place that, that, that sounds what you're used to. That, pre, that presents maybe a, a, a belief system that you're used to. Presents a God that you're used to. And I had such a sense this week that, that, that for somebody here, just God wanted to challenge you a little bit. That in your search for a church, you need to find something that's unfamiliar. Even when you're in there, if the language that they speak, the, the Bible stories that they read, even maybe the experiences that you have, that they're going to be different than what you're accustomed to, but that's exactly what you need for the next season of your life. And part of that is this, this sermon series that we're in this summer called An Open Heaven. Father, I just pray as we continue to dig into this series tonight, that maybe people that, that are here already, they would say everything about this service is so unfamiliar to me. But we pray, Father, that, that we would not disconnect ourselves from the experiences that make us uncomfortable because those are the ones that are going to be transformational. And we pray, Father, that our hearts would be open and given to you in every way, God. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody said amen. Hey, how about a couple of birthday shout outs? Lori Ruggiero having a birthday today. Come on. Candace is having a birthday today. Yes, all right. Sanaya is having a birthday today. Yeah. I know. And if you're having a birthday today and I didn't call your name, it's because you're not on Facebook and you should be. So that's just what I'm saying. Tomorrow, our oldest, is Derek, is turning 18. I know. 18. Makes me feel old. Makes me feel old. I love this image that's on the screen. We talked about it last week. I love this, this water. It's off of the Hillsong worship release, uh, Open Heaven River Wild. I like this picture that they chose because this kind of water, you can't just put your toe in it, right? It's all consumed. If you get close to it, you're gonna be swept away. And I believe that there should be times in our lives where we have encounters and experiences with God where it feels as though we've been swept away by his presence. Last week, I walked you through various verses that, that use this idea of an open heaven in the Bible. And we talked about how in some places, this idea of an open heaven is used as a promise. In other places, it's used as a prophecy of the coming of Christ. In some places, especially in the Psalms with David, it's used as a prayer for rescue. There's poetic language sometimes in the Psalms. Sometimes it's referring to a supernatural encounter. Other times it's referring to supernatural provision. And then the one we talked about last week a little bit at length is that it's actually used by someone in a place of unbelief as a moment of exaggeration that I bet God could never do something that big. And so tonight we're going to look at an actual open heaven moment and then towards the end we're going to share a little bit as I uh, uh, referenced last week about one of the reasons I believe that people come out of open heaven moments and then it doesn't translate into their everyday life. If you've got your Bible you can turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to start reading in verse 28. This is an 
open heaven moment in the New Testament with some of the disciples. Luke chapter nine, we're gonna read 28 to 37. It says, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face, referring to Jesus, was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah. Now, if you're familiar with the story, this is important because Moses and Elijah died a long time ago. It says, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Now, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. And when they woke up, they saw Jesus's glory and the two men standing with him. And Moses and Elijah were starting to leave. And Peter, not even knowing what to say, he blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror, terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud, this is the voice of God himself, referring to Jesus. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone and they didn't tell anyone at the time what they had seen. And in that moment, Jesus had returned to his, his natural self. Moses and Elijah had gone. Now I'm reading this story because in this series, we're talking about having a, a heart that desires to have open heaven moments. And I, and I want to read this because if you've been around church for any amount of time, it could be that you've read stories like this and you have an appetite for open heaven moments. And you're saying to yourself, I'd like for something like that, just like that to happen to me. And maybe you're frustrated. And my encouragement to you is that God knows the kind of open heaven moment that you need. And this open heaven moment served a very specific purpose in the sense that what happened during it. Because in Jesus' day, there were two religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees had the belief that there was no life after death. They believed in God, but they believed that this life was all that there was. And so I believe that Moses and Elijah was there so that there could be a, an answer to the question in Judaism as whether or not there's life after death. And that's the purpose that Moses and Elijah served in that moment because they knew that he had died. They had the Old Testament scripture and now they're there. And so now there's, there's a tangible response when the question would come. This was an important moment because Everybody believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but for people to take the step to believe that he was divine, that was something different. And so it was important for these disciples who were the leaders of the rest of the disciples, for them to see Jesus in his glorified state because we knew Jesus existed in heaven before he came to earth. That's why he's the only religious figure that we should follow because he's the only one that came from heaven here and then went back. I like to say, if you're going to follow someone to heaven, you should follow someone who's been there before. And that's Jesus. What happened in the open heaven moment was for a very specific reason. The part that gets overlooked in the story, oftentimes it's the part that we laugh at because it comes after the phrase that Peter didn't know what else to say. But I believe this is the part of the text that actually tells you and I what every open heaven experience should be like. An open heaven experience is defined by an encounter with God, and when it's happening for you, you have the feeling, I never want to leave this place. It creates a feeling in you, I want to stay here. 
It, it creates a feeling in you, even though there's a world out there waiting for you, relationships that you have that are important to you, a, a purpose and a calling that, that matters. You're, that, that This moment that you're sharing with your creator, that there's something inside of you that says, I want to stay in this place. We want to be a church that that gives you a dream and a vision for your future to be filled with moments just like that. It might look completely different than what it looked like for them. The question is, what is the feeling that it creates in your heart? I love this story because it reminds us that one of the reasons why God wants us to have open heaven moments in our lives, it's to empower us for what's waiting in the valley. They came out of the valley up into the mountain and they have this encounter with God and it creates this feeling in them. We want to stay here forever. But Jesus says to them, right, we, we can't stay. We need to go back down into the valley. And the reason why they need to go back down to the valley because they do have a life. They do have a calling. They do have a purpose. There are relationships waiting for them that are meaningful. And what's supposed to happen to us, which is what happened for them, is the encounter that we have on the mountain is supposed to empower us so that we're better equipped to to engage in the mission that God has for us in the valley. It's not a coincidence that when, if you continue reading in the text, that when Jesus came down, he encountered the disciples that didn't go up onto the mountain, that they were trying to minister to a father and his son, and they were incapable of meeting the need of the moment. And Jesus steps in and talks to them about having so little faith. And then he talks about prayer and fasting and all of that. We, it's another sermon for another time, but part of it is this idea that there are things that you're supposed to be doing in your journey day in and day out so that you're spiritually equipped for the moment of ministry that you step into. And open heaven moments is one of them. The encounters that we have with God, like some of you already had tonight during that worship set, it wasn't just for you to experience a, I want to stay in this place a little longer just for you. It's so that you've got what you need maybe on Wednesday for something that you don't even need, know is waiting for you. We encounter him on the mountain because he wants us to be empowered in the valley. Your valley is your workplace. Your valley is your home. Your value, your valley are your relationships. Not just your friend relationships, but your romantic relationships. God has something to say about who you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with. There's wisdom in scripture that we're supposed to follow when we're sorting all of those questions out. Your valley is your neighborhood. Your valley is your city. You ready for this next one? I don't know if you are. Your valley is your media presence. Who you are on Facebook, how you respond to people on Instagram, and all the other apps that, they are that I don't even know about because I'm 51. <laughs> it's what Vanessa was talking about in the worship wrap-up. You're always representing Christ wherever you go. There is something in a supernatural encounter that you're supposed to have with God that makes you ready for every valley that you live in, for all the people that you're going to interact with along the way. Something happens for us oftentimes, though, as Christians. I'm out, aren't I? Yeah, let's, we'll shift. Thank you. We're good? You two, one, two, test. One, two, one, two, test. He's got me now? All right. 
Something happens in us between the mountain and the valley for many of us. We, we have these encounters with God. How about our youth going away to camp? right? There, there's places where we, we have these encounters. Maybe for you, it was at Devoted uh, with the, the, when the ladies uh, head down to the uh, Wave Church when they do their big women's conference. Maybe for you, it was, it was the men's getaway last year. It could be the encounter night. It could be the, the encounter night that's coming. It, it might be that you've never had a, an open heaven moment in your life, and it's going to be the encounter night in August where you're going to experience it for the first time. All of these different settings, missions trips, conferences, life groups, And we leave out of that place with such a sense of being filled with God, and then we step back into our everyday life, and it can be as though that moment never happened for us. The story comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 19. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. It says, so David escaped and went to Ramah to see Samuel. So David, he's been anointed as the next king. Saul, right, the the current king, the first king of Israel is jealous, and he's trying to kill David. And so David and his men are on the run. He goes to see Samuel. He told him all that Saul had done to him. Then Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. And when the report reached Saul that David was at Naoth in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived and saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men. This is an open heaven moment. And they also began to prophesy. And when Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. The same thing happened a third time. Finally, Saul himself went to Ramah, arrived at the great wall of Sekou. Where are Samuel and David, he demanded. There at Naoth and Ramah, someone told him. But on the way to Naoth and Ramah, the Spirit of God, listen to this, came upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy all the way to Naoth. He tore off his clothes and lay naked, which meant that he just kept his, his undergarments on. It's not a streaking occurrence. This should not happen in your open heaven moments. And it says he was on the ground all night, listen to this, all night and all day, all night and all day, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, what is even Saul now a prophet? And then as you continue reading on in the text, you know what Saul does after he gets up? He makes all these promises of how he's going to change. And then the next thing he does, he goes right back to trying to pursue David to kill him. This, this is our story. You might say you're not trying to murder anyone, and I hope that's true for you. But that might not be your struggle. Christians, we've got blind spots. And one of our blind spots is we come into services like this and we sing and we dance and we celebrate. We have open heaven moments where where we have this feeling of I never want to leave this place. And then Monday morning, the person that you are on Facebook, it's like, I don't even know who that person is. That there's a disconnect between the encounter that we have with God and the life that we live in the valley. Forgetting that, The encounter that we have with the God on the mountain is there for us, not just to be this selfish experience that you get to have to make you feel better about yourself. It's because God is trying to empower you to live differently in the valley because he wants to use you to minister to the world around you. Supernatural encounters do not displace the need for the hard work of character growth. 
Supernatural encounters do not displace the need for the hard work of character growth. Encounters with God's presence will only make a difference with our labor in the valley if we're doing the hard work of character growth. The Bible uses the word discipleship. There's work to be done in your discipleship journey. If you're not sure what that looks like, then we've got, you're visiting with us. So there's a little green book that we give you called Praxis that talks about our discipleship model. It's free. Ask somebody in a blue shirt at the end of the service and they'll give you that book. Get started on your work. You have these moments where you encounter God's presence. And again, maybe some of you had an encounter with him tonight. God is not going to do the work that you're supposed to do yourself. And the reason why he doesn't do the work that you're supposed to do yourself but is because the work that you do is how your life actually begins to change so that the person you become is different. It's like the family that always caters to the needs of the child. We know how that child turns out. God's not going to cater to us so that we become his spoiled children. He wants to open up the heavens. He wants us to have experiences with him that cause a feeling of us, I never want to leave this place. But part of the reason why he gives you that encounter is to inspire you to go back into the valley, do the heavy lifting of discipleship, begin to do the work in your life so that the virtues of Christ begin to define you and not the attitudes that look more like this world. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, right? This is the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel and how fire came down from heaven. Another incredible open heaven story in the Bible. So including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by, tomorrow, by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Now you would think, right? If you read the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, you would think that Elijah's response would be, okay, let's meet up there, right? You, he took on all the prophets of Baal in one. You would think that something in Elijah would say, all right, God's already done it once. Let's do it again. But he doesn't. Listen to verse 3. Elijah is one of the most supernatural people in all of Scripture. The miracles that God worked through him. Unbelievable stuff. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Don't you love that the people in the Bible aren't perfect? He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Wow. Wow. Such a contrast here. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Listen to this. Supernatural encounters do not displace the need for the hard work of emotional healing. Supernatural encounters do not displace the need for the hard work of emotional healing. Even Elijah who you might even be able to argue he lived under an open heaven. 
the ways in which God used his life in such mighty and powerful ways. You, you might be able to argue that the, the story on Mount Carmel is rivaled only by the story of the exodus of the Israelites. But here you have this, this incredible man of God who had all of these open heaven experiences. You can see that he suffered from depression. You can see that he was emotionally vulnerable. You could see there were times in his life where his, his emotions caused him to make decisions that were not in his best interest. The idea of leaving his servant, going out into the wilderness, isolating himself, right? All of these are the practices sometimes that people that are struggling with a bout of depression end up walking into. Come on, as Christians, sometimes we've got blind spots. We have these incredible open heaven experiences and then we wake up on Monday and then we're shocked that our emotional brokenness is still waiting there for us. The open heaven experience, it's just like the work of character growth. God doesn't fix everything in you that's broken in the open heaven. Every need that I have is not remedied in the open heaven. And much of that, again, it's the same with character growth, is because there's something about the longevity of the healing that comes through the work of walking it out, doing the part that God expects me to do. Encounters with God's presence will only make a difference with your labor in the valley if you're doing the hard work of emotional healing. So let me just point you to some great resources. Where's Kim Trees? She's in here. Raise your hand, Kim Trees. If you're a lady, right, and you got some emotional stuff that you need to work out, you need to go see her. You need to go see her. If you're here, Jen and Kim Muro are not in here because they're, they're working in the nursery, but she works with Genesis Counseling. They see families, kids, couples, men, and women. That's another great, two incredible resources right here in this church. Christian counseling, it's important. These are gifts that God gives to people to help us do the hard work of emotional healing. If you're bought into this idea that because you're a Christian, you don't need other people to help you with your emotional brokenness, you're going to stay broken for the rest of your life. Counselors are incredible people that God gives this gift to to help you navigate in a place that's unfamiliar to you. You would not wisely travel to a foreign country where you do not speak the language and that you don't know where you're going and just get off the plane and walk out into the, right? Who would do that? It's foolishness. You would have a guide. You'd go with people who have been there before because you understand that you need someone to help get you to where you're going. That's what a counselor does with you. They help you navigate places in your life that you you just get lost when you get in there. You get lost when you get in there because you're trying to navigate it by yourself. There's a stigma in Christianity attached with counseling. There's a stigma in Christianity that's attached to mental health issues. Shame on us. Shame on us. Shame on us. Come on, if you're going to clap, clap. Open heaven moments, you need them. I need them. Because there's something in that moment that inspires us. There's something in that moment that gives me hope. Can, does he heal sometimes in those moments? Sure he does. Does he, is there miraculous provision in those moments? Sometimes sure he does. And we're gonna come to a moment where we're gonna pray for some people at the end of the service who are looking for some provision for God. It's a, a practical way where we're gonna walk out what part of this series is challenging us. But oftentimes, the great gift that he gives to you is just the feeling 
of wanting to stay there. Because that feeling, it engenders in you trust for God. It causes your sense of intimacy with God to go even deeper. And then, yes, oftentimes in that moment, there's an impartation of something supernatural inside of you. You don't even know he put it in there, and you don't realize it until you get to what you're going to be facing in the week. And for some of you, what you're facing in the week is the courage to make the call to set the appointment with the counselor. For some of you, for some of you, It's in that moment where you could react in a vindictive way like you always have to withhold your tongue and exhibit the virtue of self-control, maybe for the first time in your life. So here it is, what I referenced last week. I'm going to give to you what I think is, is, is the greatest enemy in our lives that robs us of the mountain on the way down into the valley. And it's this, is that we are physically and emotionally exhausted in the modern culture of our day. Rest is key to both character growth and emotional healing. You can get all the counseling in the world. You can do everything in that Praxis book. Well, one of them is rest, so you would be leaving that. You can do everything else in that book except that one thing. And if you live your life physically and emotionally exhausted. You can have all the open heavens you want, but you will be ineffective in the ministry of the valley that God has called you to. I believe one of the reasons there's such a disconnect for many of us between our open heaven moments and our labor in the valley is that we're physically and emotionally exhausted. You have an open heaven moment, but you're physically and emotionally exhausted so that when you get back in the car, maybe on the way home tonight, you're short-tempered with your kids. Maybe you had an open heaven moment tonight and then you're going to have an amazing time with the hot dogs and the movie and the cornhole and you're going to meet some new friends, but then you're physically and emotionally exhausted from the life you've been living for the last three years. And so your wife goes to bed early and there you are on your computer again late at night looking at things that you're not supposed to. Come on. You have an open heaven moment but you're physically and emotionally exhausted, so you lash out at someone on Facebook. You have an open heaven moment, but because you're physically and emotionally exhausted, then your addiction, it keeps winning again and again and again. I'll just tell you, as I look over my own life, moments when I knew God wanted me to minister to someone, encourage them, engage them in some way, and didn't, oftentimes it was because I didn't have the emotional or physical energy that I needed. For some of you, that's what's happening in your home, your marriage, your parenting, and that list can just keep going on and on. It's, and it might be because you're frustrated, and this might be an aha moment for many of you. You're thinking to yourself, Fred, I'm, I've been tracking with this church and the pathways, and I've been doing so good in those, and I've been seeking out counsel, and I've been having open heaven moments, and you just can't figure out why there's still just this breakdown in your life. And for some of you, it's just because you're worn out, and life wasn't created to be that way. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who. Well, we know who the author is, right? It's the Holy Spirit. But we don't know exactly who the writer of Hebrews is. Lots of, lots of people have ideas. But the writer of Hebrews in verse 9 makes up a word because there was not a word in Greek that could articulate the concept that this writer was trying to convey. 
In Hebrews 4, verse 9, it says, though there is a special rest waiting for the people of God. The word that's written in the original text is the word sabbatismos. And that word did not exist before this person wrote it down. Sabbatismos. And it means it is a rest that is without end. It means that, that you abide and live in a place of restfulness. It doesn't mean that you don't get physically tired. It doesn't mean that sometimes you, you don't get a little weary. But it means that you're walking in this place of peace that's only possible because of the wisdom of God's word and how it's living out in Hebrews chapter 4. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, in the rest of this text, we find that the writer of Hebrews teaches us sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes they're not listed specifically because he's writing to a Jewish audience in an ancient time. And so sometimes the writers of Scripture, they don't spell it out because it's understood. Does that make sense? It's like when you're communicating with your friend. It's like as parents, when we overhear our teenagers talking with their friends, oftentimes they might as well be speaking a foreign language because we have no idea what they're saying. But they know, right, because there's a shared language, there's a shared experience, there's a context. And, and, the, and remember, the Bible, most of it are letters that are being written from people to people. We know that the Holy Spirit was inspiring them to write them, but that's some of the times the reason why we've got to dig a little bit. And the writer of Hebrews was referring to an understanding and a revelation of four specific kinds of rest. If you're missing any of these, you will not have sabbatismos in your life. And if you don't have sabbatismos in your life, you can do all the things that you're supposed to be doing, but there will be a disconnect between the mountain and the valley in your journey. The first one the writer of Hebrews talks about is paternal rest. There is a rest that comes to you, and I've been teaching these for 10 years at this church. There is a rest that comes to you from knowing God as your best and closest friend. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ and your relationship is restored with God, there is a restfulness, there is a peace of sabbatismos that comes to you because your creator and you are walking together in this life. If you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ, one of the reasons why there's this, there's, there's this sense of being unsettled in your heart is, is because your relationship with God has not yet been restored. You need the rest that comes from knowing him as your father. Not just believing in him as an idea, not just believing in him as a concept, but as a father, as your creator, the one who loves you with an indescribable love, the one who always has your best interest at heart. The second one I talk about is a purposeful rest, rest purposeful rest. This is the rest that comes this, this is what Christian, come on, didn't Christian do an awesome job? He was the young man that talked in camp about knowing that he's supposed to be a teacher. Come on, so good. He, he tasted sabbatismos at that camp because purposeful rest is when you begin to get an idea of what God wants you to do with your life. The work that you're supposed to give your hand to. How you're supposed to engage this world in a purposeful, meaningful, constructive way. And when you begin to walk in that, come on, you can get worn out through your work. But if you're doing the work that you know that God called you to, then you experience the rest that's purposeful. There's a paternal rest. There's a purposeful rest. The next one is a perpetual rest. Perpetual rest in Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about this idea is that after you die, you know what's happening to you. People who don't know, people who are unsure, people who are, un I'm telling you, 
It is a scary way to live your life. If there's an uncertainty about what's waiting for you after you breathe your last, there will never be a sense of sabbatismos rest that will come to you. When we make a vow of devotion to Christ, it's settled for us. We know that heaven is waiting for us. We know that there's a perfect place called paradise that we're going to be spending eternity. There's a peace and a restfulness. I'd, I've been doing funerals for almost 20 years as a pastor. And there's a big difference between the funeral for the family who's burying someone and they know that they're going to see that person again versus the one that they're just not sure. You've been in funerals just like that, you know. The last one is a physical rest. We're going to preach on it more next week. We're going to dig deeper into this idea of how do we practically in this modern world that we live in reach back and pull the wisdom of Scripture of the 10th commandment that, right, as, as Christians, we like to talk about 10, but most of us were only practicing nine, for some even less. There's a physical rest that your body needs to have. The day of rest was part of the world before Adam and Eve sinned. When the world was a perfect place, the day of rest was there. The day of rest was not inserted into the human experience as a response to the sinfulness of man. The day of rest was inserted in creation when the world was still untouched, was perfect in every way. There was a day where they rested. There is a physical rest. Your body is designed by God for the need to rejuvenate every seven days. It's the cycle of the human experience that if you're going against it, I'm telling you, you're swimming upstream. You can know where you're going after you die. You can have a sense of knowing God as your best and closest friend. You can be walking in the perfect purpose. You know you're doing exactly what God created you to do. But if you never take a day off, there's not a day of rest, then sabbatismos is missing from your life. There's a peace that's not yet there. Listen to Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. It says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. Speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. Don't follow your own desires or talk idly. What does that mean, talking idly? It means that don't just have the same conversations on that day that you have every other day. In your marriage and as a parent that, that, that try to talk, right? If we're not careful in some of the relationships that are most meaningful for us, right? We just, we, we slip into the realm of small talk our whole life. One of the purposes of the Sabbath is that there's just there's this, this day in there. To give you permission to maybe ask some questions that you wouldn't ordinarily ask. To go a little bit deeper. To look for a better connection with the people around you that you love. Listen to verse 14. It says, then the Lord will be your delight. Listen to what it says here. And God says, and I will give you great honor. What's that referring to? That right there is referring to purposeful rest. The way we experience ultimate honor in this life is to figure out why God created us and give ourselves wholeheartedly to it. And satisfy you with the inheritance that I promised to your ancestor Jacob. What's that talking about? It's talking about eternal life. For I, the Lord, have spoken. Isaiah 58 is a partner text to Hebrews chapter 4. Isaiah 58, right in here. Right in here. It's talking about paternal rest. Talking about physical rest. Talking about perpetual rest. Talking about purposeful rest. That's sabbatismos. 
Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, Sabbatismos. The Holy Spirit inspires this writer of Hebrews to give humanity a new word to talk about a concept that you and I are desperate to have. And we're desperate for it for a lot of reasons. But one of them is so that when we have the open heaven and we're on our way back down to the valley, we're on our way back down to the valley, that there's a restfulness that defines who we are so we don't lose the connection with the power of God so we can engage in the labor and the ministry that God has for us with the people that are going to cross our paths. Next week, we're going to be talking more about specifically the Sabbath rest. How do we do it? Practical steps. Talking more about some examples in Scripture. We're going to be digging around in the series about open heavens and the power of God. We're going to talk about some of the supernatural things that, that we believe in as a church that you find in Scripture that are so connected to this concept and this idea of open heavens. But I, I, I can't emphasize it enough. If you neglect yourself, if you're neglecting yourself, then those open heavens, it's like spilling on the ground the living water that God is trying to deposit in you. It's like pouring water into a bucket that's got a hole in the bottom of it. It's never going to get filled up. I need to write all of that down because none of it was in my notes. Snapping for myself, snapping for myself. I'm going to invite you to stand and Dominique's going to come up and play some keys for us. Let me read you this verse out of Psalm 78, verse 23, and then I'm going to have a, a couple that we're going to be praying for come down at front in just a minute. I love this verse. Listen to this verse, Psalm 78, 23. It says, but he commanded the skies to open, and he opened the doors of heaven. For some of you, this verse needs to be your verse for the rest of the year. He commanded the skies to open, and he opened the doors of heaven. I've asked Dave and Kelly to come down. They're going to join me down here at the front. We're going to pray for them tonight. I'm going to invite some of our leaders to come and, and stand with them. If you're a leader here and you're in here, you just feel free to come and kind of gather around them. We're, we're going to pray for Dave and Kelly because uh, they've moved here to this area and, and their house has been on the market in the town that they are moving from. And it's been almost two years, two years the house has, has been for sale. And so uh, Dave's just been, and Kelly have been sharing about their story. We've been praying with them. And, and uh, just this week, as I was uh, putting my notes together, I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to reach out to them and say, would you be willing to come forward and just let us stand together in prayer, right? Because this is what we're preaching right here, right? If it's just an idea and a concept, right, then, then I'm not giving my life for that. But that's not what Christianity is. It's a way of living. And God is real. And prayer matters. And so we're going to pray and we're going to ask that you join us in this moment of faith that they're going to have an open heaven moment in their life, come on, and a contract in hand and a story to tell for the glory of God. Father, we just lift up Dave and Kelly to you right now in Jesus' name. Father, we just pray that even in this moment that there would be an open heaven over their situation. That that verse that we just read in Psalms, God, is going to become their verse. It's going to become a verse that you're going to write on the table of their heart because of the demonstrative way that you're going to move in their life. Father, give them a story to tell. 
Give them a story as they move through the valleys of their life with their family and their workplace and their neighbors, God. We know that so many times these moments of an open heaven can be a moment of supernatural provision and that story can be enough to stir someone's heart to believe in you again. Father, we pray for a contract in hand, Father, this summer in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody say together, amen. So good. Come on, so good.